You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. On December 1st, 1955, Rosa Parks walked onto a city bus. Uh, When she walked on the bus, she saw that all of the blacks-only section was completely full. And so she sat down in the middle section right between the white and black sections. And as she rode the bus, more and more people got on. And as they did, some white people got on the bus and they walked up to her and asked her to move. And Rosa Parks told them that she was just fine where she was. The bus driver came back and asked Parks if she would get out of her seat to let them sit in her place. And she calmly refused. He called the police and the police came and took Rosa Parks off the bus, arrested her and put her in jail. Now what happened next, nobody would have seen coming because what she did that day sparked a year-long bus boycott in the city of Montgomery, Alabama that would end up going on to launch the civil rights movement. Now, now what was it about Rosa Parks and what happened that day that caused such a strong cultural reaction? You see, there had been several people before Rosa Parks that had done exactly what she had done. Several black people had refused to get up out of their seat to let a white person sit down, and some were even shot because of it. So why didn't those events cause the same reaction? And the reason is because Rosa Parks had so many close relationships. She had so many relational connections to people in different social circles across society that when she got arrested, it caused an incredibly strong reaction. You see, she was part of the NAACP. Uh, She was a volunteer at the local hospital. She was part of the Methodist and Lutheran churches. Not exactly sure how that worked. But she was part of so many different organizations in the community that so many people counted Rosa Parks as their friend. And so when they saw her get arrested and they saw what was happening, they were outraged and their friendship led them to respond. But see, with Rosa Parks, it didn't just stop in those friendships. Those are what we call strong tie relationships. It didn't just stop with their strong tie relationships. It went on to what sociologists call weak tie relationships. These are the friends of the friends. These are the people that you know who they are and you've seen each other at different events, but you're not really close friends. You see, with Rosa Parks, she had so many friends that the friends of the friends felt a connection to her, and as a result of that, it completely changed culture and it completely changed history. You see, people were willing to change their habits because of their relational connection to Rosa Parks. I want you to imagine what it would look like if you were not able to drive your car to your job. What would it look like if every morning you had to get up and walk all the way to work? How would that change your life? That would be an incredible change of habits, right? It would require incredible sacrifice, but people across the community were willing to make that significant of a habit change. Why? Because when Parks made this decision and was arrested, it caused social peer pressure, right? It created a context where people were actually embarrassed to be seen riding the bus. So many people had connections to Rosa Parks that they actually would have looked down on you if you were riding the bus. And that was such a a strong pressure that people were willing to walk 
not just for a day or a week, but for a whole year to boycott the bus. And so this is incredible, right? To think about that, to think about the significant change of habits that this created. And what this story shows us is the power of relationships. It shows us how incredibly important relationships are and how important they are in helping us change our habits and even as we see in the story of Rosa Parks, even in changing history. So as we, as we look this morning, we're going, to be, we're going to be looking at relationships. We're going to be looking at the importance of community and relational connection. And as we do this, uh, the first thing that we have to ask ourselves is, as we're sitting here in this room, in this culture, is how does our culture affect our relationships? How does this culture that we're in, in the United States of America at this time, affect our relationships? relationships. And I would say that as a culture, we are largely disconnected. Now, in some ways, we're more connected than others than in any other time in history. And in other ways, we're less connected than at any time in history. You see, through technology, we have the ability to be connected with an incredible number of people all over the world. How many of you all are on social media of some form by raise of hand? Okay, so all across the room. And, and with social media, with that technology, we have the ability to connect with people all over. And we have the ability to access information about people unlike we ever have at any time in history. If you want to know something about a person, you can pull up their Facebook page. And you can quickly see what their interests are, who their friends are, uh, look at their pictures. You can pull up their Twitter account. And you can see uh, the quotes that they uh, listen to. And, and you can see the people they're influenced by. You can pull up their Instagram. And you can look at pictures of them and their friends and their food and any number of other things that people take pictures of. Right? You can have access to so much information about people through technology. And so we, we have an incredible opportunity to be connected unlike at any other time in history. And yet at the same time, we are more plagued as a culture with loneliness than at any time in history. We are both more connected technologically and more disconnected and lonely than ever. George Gallup says, Americans are among the loneliest people in the world. Now, how many of you all have had a cup of Starbucks coffee or, or some drink from Starbucks coffee in the last month? Raise of hands. Okay, most of our people. We're now in the third service. All three services have, have a ton of people have said that they've had a cup of Starbucks coffee. Now, Starbucks is an interesting story because they have literally changed the way people view coffee. They have made coffee more popular than it's ever been. And how is that? Well, Starbucks has, they're not just selling coffee. See, they've looked at our culture, and they've seen this hunger for relationships. They've seen this desire that we have to be connected relationally. And so they're not just selling overpriced, slightly burnt-tasting coffee. They're actually selling relationships, right? They've created a context that people feel connected. And so they did something crazy, something that other companies thought was bizarre. They took square footage in their store and put chairs and couches in it. Right? Instead of just selling coffee, they wanted a place where people could come and work and hang out, and it worked. Right? People love going to Starbucks because they feel relationally connected, and so we will pay $5 or more for a latte because we, we love that and crave that connection, and, and it's working. Right? There's Starbucks everywhere. 
<clears throat> and so what is it? If, if, a, if a company can recognize that need, and if, if we are honest, we would have to agree that our culture is disconnected, right? Our culture is hungry for relationships. So what is it that causes us as a society to be so disconnected? What is it that causes us as a people to be so disconnected relationally? And I think, I think the primary reason is because we are a very individualistic society. We are, we are a very individualistic people. And so we, if we want to get entertained, we go home and we turn on our television. Right? And we have access to like 2,000 channels. And we can choose programming that, that fits our exact interests. Right? And so that becomes our entertainment. And when we work, we do our works on, work on a laptop. And so we can look at a laptop and we can do our work and accomplish our task and never actually have to interact with other people because we accomplish it right on the screen in front of us. Uh, and, and even when we work out, Right? People work out in a public space. They go to a gym with all these other people, and what do they do? Headphones, right? You got your headphones on. So you walk into a gym with a group of people who at least have similar enough interests that they all want to work out, right? And they, have, they don't even interact, right? Everybody's listening to their headphones in their own routine. The only exception is if you're like Pastor Trent and you want to get a smoothie after your workout, right? That's the only interaction that people have. And so we have this reality as a culture, and it's actually crept into the church, Right? So many people in churches across our country have the same components that they do in all of the areas of their lives. They, they will come to church and walk in and out and never really interact with people. Maybe they'll say hi or how's it going and, and you know, shake the hand of the person who's greeting them on the way in, but they won't really interact with other people. You see, as a culture, we are surrounded by people but largely they don't know us and so often we don't know them. You see, there used to be a reality in, in our culture that, that houses were built with front porches. Now, I don't know how many, if there are many people in the service that remember sitting in a front porch in front of your house, right? And pe that's kind of where people would, would hang out with people in their neighborhood and kids would play in the front yard. And there was this, the, the porch was a place in between the public and the private spheres of your life. And so people would hang out in that place and, and, and have just these connections to their neighbors, but that's really not the case, right? Largely, we don't know our neighbors. We pull into our driveway, into the garage, walk inside, drop on the couch, and turn on the television, right? And we hope that we don't have to interact with anybody on the way, kind of keep our eyes focused. And, and so what we have done as a culture is we have moved off of the porch and onto the couch, and so as an individualistic culture that, that is disconnected, the question that we have to ask ourselves is how is this affecting us, right? How is, how is a lack of connections relationally affecting us? Well, first off, uh, I want to look at what is, what is so important about relationships? What, what, are, what are the positive effects of having meaningful relationships? There's a, a publication called the Journal of Happiness Studies. Any of you guys subscribe Journal of Happiness Studies? I didn't think so. But this publication, their, their sole purpose is figuring out what causes people to be happy, right? And so they're doing all this research and, and publishing information on what it is that makes people flourish, what it is that makes people happy. And over and over in their studies, they consistently come back to the same truth, right? That the, the primary component 
of a person's life who is happy, a person who, who is flourishing, is the presence of deep and meaningful relationships. Right? That's what they see over and over again in their studies. One, uh, one author who's a, who's a Harvard professor named Robert Putman, he writes this. He says, the single most common finding from half a century's research on life satisfaction, not only in the U.S. but around the world, is that happiness is best predicated by the breadth and depth of one's social connections. Right? So the, 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 the amount of happiness that you have, that people have, is, is consistently shown to be connected to the breadth and depth, the number and depth of their relationship. So, so as these studies are, are coming in on the importance and the positive values of having relationships, what are some of the negative effects of not having relationships? Uh, what are some of the, the things that, that happen that, that we lack if we don't have relationships? Well, uh, studies consistently show that people who are socially isolated are more prone to depression, they're more prone to anxiety, they're more prone to sleeping and eating disorders, and they're more prone to, to develop habits and addictions, both sexually and to substances, right? So we see all of this in, in, in so many of these different areas that so much of this comes back to social isolation. Um, and, and so even uh, one author, John Ortberg, right, and the, the name of his book is that everyone's normal until you get to know them. <laughs> I think that's a great title for a book. Everybody's normal till you get to know them. He writes this. He says, a scientific study on the effect of relationships tracked the lives of 7,000 people over nine years. Researchers found that the most isolated people, hear this, were three times more likely to die early than those with strong relational connections. People who had bad health habits, such as smoking and poor eating habits, obesity, alcohol use, but Strong social lives lived significantly longer than people who had great health habits but were isolated. And, and I love this closing sentence. He says, in other words, it is better to eat Twinkies with good friends than to eat broccoli alone. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, some response. I'm thinking about hanging that in a plaque in my office. But uh, words to live by. And so, so I hope that you're getting the point, Right? Relationships are incredibly important in many different ways, even down to our health. Uh, again, Robert Putman, Harvard professor, writes, if you belong to no groups at all and you decide to join a group of some kind this year, you cut your chance of dying in half, right? So based on that and this research, I'm thinking about today's our small group connect, right? And so today we're encouraging people to go up to the loft and connect and Get, get plugged into a small group. And so I'm thinking about a new slogan called join a group or die. <laughs> and so I, I, I think it's going to catch on. <clears throat> but, um, but yeah, so that's, that's the importance, right? And, and so we see this clearly. So if we understand this, right, if we, if we will all say, okay, Brian, I get the point, right? Relationships are important and, and there's negative effects when we're not connected to relationships. The, the question that we have to ask is, is, if we know this, what is it that keeps us from having more meaningful relationships, right? What are the obstacles to having these meaningful relationships that are so important for our lives? Again, I'm quoting a lot today because we're looking at a lot of, of just uh, social studies, but, but David Brooks is a, I mean, some of you guys may have heard of David Brooks. He's an he's a author or a writer for the, the New York Times. He's written multiple books as well. 
Uh, and he's, he's studied this stuff in depth. And, and he writes, uh, he says, at some time over the past generation, people around the world entered what you might call the age of possibility. They became intolerant of any arrangement that might close off their personal options. So what he says is says, this generation and this culture is, is consumed with having a certain lifestyle. And so we are terrified of anything that will keep us from, from the freedoms and the luxuries that we want to have. And so we will, we will not get involved in relationships because they may keep us from that. He closes his article with this. He says, my view is that the age of possibility is based on a misconception. People are not better off when they're given maximum per- personal freedom to do what they want. They're better off when they're enshrouded in commitments that transcend personal choice. You see, we as a culture, we don't, we don't want to sacrifice Right? We, we don't want to have to be inconvenienced. Right? We don't, we don't want to have to go through the struggle of, of cutting off our own freedoms in order to get into relationships. Right? And because they're inconvenient. If you have kids, you would have to agree that kids are incredibly inconvenient. Right? On a lot of levels. And honestly, family. Right? Think about your family. There's inconveniences to that. And in the same way... There is inconvenience to true relationships, right? There's times when it won't be convenient to be invested relationally. Tim Keller says, we're afraid of real community because it inevitably limits freedom and choice. This generation doesn't want to make the sacrifices and commitments that enable true community to happen. We're not willing to make the sacrifices personally in order to experience true community. And the reason is that we are convinced that if, if we're focused on ourselves and, and we're focused on, on accomplishing what we do and accomplish and spending our time in a way that's convenient for us, that we'll find fulfillment in that. We're convinced of that. But the results are actually that it is literally killing us. So why is it? Why is it that we can't shake this need for community? Right? Why is it that we can't just find happy lives outside of relationships? Why is it that there are always negative repercussions when we try to ignore this need for connection? Well, I believe that the Bible gives us a very clear reason for connection because God has created us, right? And God has created us specifically for relationships. He's designed us in a way that we need relationships with other people. And this is this is for everyone, no matter what your personality is like. Some people, maybe, maybe there's a, a group of people in here who would say, I am an introvert, right? That's, that's who I am. And so, so maybe the things you're talking about apply to extroverts, right? And, and maybe my spouse or friends, but I'm an introvert. I, I would say biblically, this applies to everybody, right? Introvert, extrovert, no matter who you are, God has designed you and he has built you in a specific way that you have a deep need for relationship. And ultimately, and you've heard us talk about this before, but this is because God is a relational God in himself, right? At the very beginning of the Bible, God says, let us make man in our image, right? That's plural language, not my image, but our image. God exists as a relationship, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, constantly existing in in selfless, loving relationship. And so when God has created us in his image, right? He has created us 
in a relational image. And so we cannot accurately display the image of God in our lives without relationships, without other people. This is why as God is creating the world and the universe and and he's created the plants and the animals, everything along the way, he's saying it's good, it's good, it's good. And then he creates man and he puts him in the garden by himself. And this is the first time we see God say that anything is not good. He says it's not good for man to be alone. Now man, I mean, he had animals, right? He had this incredible creation. He had a relationship with God. But something was lacking that made it not good. And the reason it was not good is because he could not reflect the image of God without relationships, right? So this is who God has made us to be in his image. And so in addition to that, that biblical concept that helps us understand why relationships are so important, we also see this in Jesus, right? We see it in his life and the way that he spent his ministry, but we also see it in the way that he set up the church. So Jesus very clearly called his followers after he ascended to heaven to live a life that is in community, Right? He set up the church and he called his believers to gather together as a body in community to experience these relationships. And so from the beginning, it's very important that we understand Jesus never intended for the Christian life to be lived alone. He, he never intended us for us to, to read the Bible and try to make these things happen in our lives by ourselves. He always intended it for it to happen in community, to follow him and grow in maturity with one another. We see this in several passages. The first of the, those is Ephesians 4, 15 through 16. It says, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You see, according to this passage, We need one another. We need each other in order to grow and to be built up and to mature. We have to have one another. And and honestly, one of the the main reasons why we need each other, one of the, the main practical reasons why we need other Christians in our lives is to keep us from believing the lies of the world and the sinful flesh and Satan, right? We, we are so persuaded by the lies of the devil. We are so persuaded by sinful, fleshly desires. And we need other people who will remind us, as as Ephesians said, who will speak the truth in love to us to remind us that those are deceptions, right? Those are lies and and call us back to a life of following God, reminding that, that ultimately this is the way to experience the fullness of life that God has called us to. We need other people to speak the truth to keep us from being deceived by the power of lies. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 says, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So, so he uses the word habit in that passage, and that should stand out to us after this series if we've been talking about the importance of, of habits on our lives. And he says that some people are falling into a bad habit, right? They are, they are consistently missing out on meeting together with other Christians. So they're, they're moving away from the church, and it's becoming a habit. He says, instead of that, you need to develop a positive habit, 
right, with meeting with other Christians. It should be a regular, habitual thing in your life to be in community with other Christians, right? And, and he says, when we do that, we're accomplishing the purpose of, he, he says, stirring one another up. It's like shaking one another up to, to love and good deeds. So we need to make it a habit of meeting together with other Christians to help encourage one another and challenge one another to, to experience the love and good deeds that God has called us to. And so we need to develop that habit of meeting together with other Christians. Again, uh, Hebrews 3, 12 through 13 says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Can, can you imagine this, that, that someone would exhort you or encourage you or challenge you every single day, right? Can you imagine somebody calling you daily or, or speaking to you about these things daily? What he's saying is he says we need people to exhort, each, exhort us daily to be in our lives and in our business on a daily basis because we're constantly prone to walk away from God. Right? We're constantly prone to, to leave God and to leave our relationship and our desire to follow him behind and go our own way and walk down paths of sin. And he says that puts us in an incredibly dangerous place. Uh, it's like the National, Ge National Geographic channel, right? Any of you guys watch that? Um, if, you, if you've ever watched uh, that channel, uh, National Geographic, you know that one of the programs that's, that are the most popular are, are videos of animals attacking other animals, right? And so we love to watch this for whatever reason. So maybe it's like a cheetah or a wolf, right? And they're attacking their prey. And, and what always happens, like let's say it's a wolf and it's chasing a deer. What is gonna happen with maybe a pack of wolves? What is the deer that they are going to attack? The one that falls away on its own, right? It's always the one that's on its own, that falls behind, that's weak or separated from one. That's always the animal, the prey that these, these, these uh, animals, the wolves or cheetahs, whatever, that they attack. Why? It's easy, right? It's an easy prey. It's, it's vulnerable. And, and so they attack it. And, and there's, there's a reality of that that applies to our lives as well. Right? Because when we are on our own, when we're outside of Christian community, we're more easy prey. We're much more vulnerable to fall into the deceptions of sin. Right? We're much more likely to walk into destruction, destructive habits and behaviors because we're on our own and we're isolated from community. And sin can become so much more persuasive when we're on our own. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, one of the, the great figures in church history, writes this. He says, sin demands to have a man by himself. It withdraws him from the community. The more isolated a person is, the more destructive will be the power of sin over him. The more isolated a person is, the more powerful sin can, can come in and, and bring destruction into our lives. So we need community, right? We need one another. We need people who can speak to us the truth of God's word, who can encourage us and challenge us to follow God and not get into the deception of sin. So as we're, as we're thinking about the practical application, how this really sets into our lives and, and even how it applies to this overall think sermon series, uh, the past few weeks, we've talked a lot about the importance of habits, right? And so you've heard us talk about some concepts like the habit loop, right? The cue and routine and reward, 
that, that help us develop new habits. And you've talked about keystone habits, right? So, so things that you can do to help set yourself up for success. So maybe a keystone habit would be setting your gym clothes uh, by the door so that you can be reminded to, to go and work out. And so you, you have these habit loops, you have these keystone habits, um, but I would argue that both of those can be in place and you still not ultimately succeed in changing your habits if you don't have other people around, right? So you can do these things, but if you don't have people who are in your life, who are, who are walking with you, who, who when you fall off the wagon are encouraging you to get back on, who are, who are helping you walk through these changes, ultimately you won't be successful, right? Because we need people around us. It's, it's the principle of accountability, and I would say that, that any organization, so anything you can think of, any organization that's out there that exists to help people change their habits. So, so maybe it's Weight Watchers or something like that, and, and they're, they're trying to help people lose weight and get healthier, right? Or maybe it's an organization that exists to help get people off of alcohol or drugs. All of these organizations and programs are based around the principle of accountability, they know that in order to make these changes, you have to have people around you. Uh, one of the most significant is Alcoholics Anonymous, right? So this whole program is based around accountability. So you have a group that you're meeting with. Maybe it's weekly or bi-weekly and however often, and, and you're gathering together with these people and you're talking about what's going on and you're encouraging one another and you're helping remind one another that you're not alone in this. And in addition to those groups, you have a sponsor, and so each person has a sponsor who's checking in on them regularly. And, and the expectation is that if, if you ever have a desire or a temptation to start drinking, what do you do? Pull out your phone and call your sponsor, right? There's actually a habit loop to this. So, so they're saying instead of your old habits of the cue of having a bad day or having something go wrong or whatever it is that, that makes you want to go drink, your old routine was to go to the bar or, you know, go to the liquor store or whatever it was. And then the reward was the buzz of the alcohol. Or maybe if you're hanging out at the bar, it was the conversation, you know, with the bartender or people around you. They said, instead, replace that. When you have that cue, replace it with a routine of pulling out your phone and calling your sponsor. And then you'll experience the reward of conversation, right? Of having them listen to what's going on and, and talk with you about it. And so there's this new habit loop that develops, but all of it is based around relationships, right? All of that is based around accountability, and they know in order for you to succeed in something so significant as changing your habits, which are incredibly powerful, right? Many of us know this. Many of us know how incredibly powerful habits are in our lives, and so in order to change it, we have to have other people, right? There have to be people around us, and maybe, maybe this is the piece that's missing from your life, Maybe, maybe some of us here this morning would say, man, I've tried to quit this or I've tried to change this over and over and it's never worked, right? I always have good intentions and I always have a good plan and it doesn't work. Maybe the thing that's missing is this accountability piece, right? Maybe that's the reason that you have not been successful in the past is because you've tried to do it on your own and it's not how we're meant to make these changes. So, so maybe in, in applying this, maybe... Maybe if you're trying to lose weight or start working out, maybe what you need to do is get a group of people who are going to the gym together, right? Who are waiting you at 5.30 or 6 or whatever in the morning. And so you know there's, there's some pressure, there's some accountability to be there with them. Or maybe, 
Maybe you're trying to develop a habit of, of reading the Bible daily, right? And so maybe you've started Bible reading, year-long Bible reading plans, and like every year you end in like February 3rd, right? And it's never turned over. Well, maybe what you need is a group of guys that, that you're, ladies, that you're getting coffee with, uh, maybe weekly or every other week, and, and you're discussing what you're reading in the Bible and, and, and just encouraging one another to keep those habits alive. Or maybe it's that you want, you have a sinful behavior pattern, that is just clinging to you and, and you know that you need to make that change. Maybe what you need to do is have at least one other person that you're willing to be open and honest about your struggle and you're willing to let them in and hold you accountable. Maybe you hold them accountable too and so you develop these relationships that'll help you overcome the sinful behavior patterns that are in your life, right? So maybe that's it. Maybe that's the missing piece in, in any of those areas or more that you need to incorporate. I would say this, Right? I want to challenge you um, that, that you need to have somebody holding you accountable who will actually, like, challenge you, <laughs> who will actually push you. So, so if, if your accountability partners for losing weight are sitting around in a couple months at Dunkin', Don- Dunkin Donuts, pounding apple fritters, laughing about how terrible you're doing, you've got the wrong accountability group, Right? That's not helpful. So maybe you know that. Maybe you know, buddy, you know, this buddy or that buddy, they'll just laugh and won't really. Make sure there's people who will challenge you, who will really push you forward because it's something that we need, right? We need to take it seriously. We need to be willing to, to be those kind of friends to really help people grow and challenge one another. Um, one, of the, one of the authors that you've heard us quote consistently throughout this series uh, is a guy named Charles Duhigg. He wrote the book, The Power of Habit. Um, and, and a lot of, of significant research. But here's, here's a quote from that book that, that talks about, he's been talking about all these components of changing habits, and he talks about the importance of, of relationships and community. He says, the evidence is clear. If you want to change a habit, you must find an alternative route, routine, and your odds of success go up dramatically when you commit to changing as part of a group. Belief is essential, and it grows out of a communal experience, even if that community is only as large as two people. It's incredibly important. These, these community relationships are essential in changing our habits, in changing our lives, and, and in the church context, in helping us grow as mature followers of Christ. We can't do it on our own. We're not intended to do it on our own. And so my question for us as we, as we close this morning is, is first off, do you have meaningful, deep relationships, right? Do you have these relationships and do you have relationships specifically in your lives that are helping you grow, right? That are holding you accountable, that are, that are helping you grow in your, in your walk with Christ. Do you have those relationships? And if you don't, the second question is what steps do you need to take to develop that kind of community? Well, what steps do you need to take to develop these relationships? What, what sacrifices do you need to make? How, how do you need to rearrange your priorities or rearrange your schedule in order to make? What are the practical steps that are going to make these relationships actually happen? And, and I, would challenge, I would challenge everyone to think through that. What are the practical steps that I need if they're so important, right, and they're so crucial, right? It, it, when you look at social research and scientific research and you look at the Bible, right, we see the importance of them. What is it going to take to implement these relationships into my life? Now, I want to encourage you guys, one step that we as Foothills Church uh, want to encourage and challenge every single person who's here this morning is to get in a small group. As we're, as we're thinking about how do, you, how do you actually follow God, 
right? How do you grow as a follower of Christ? We absolutely believe that, that you need to move beyond just worshiping together on Sunday morning and getting into a group context, right? A place where you're not just hearing the sermons on Sunday morning, but you're meeting in a small group to discuss the sermons and, and to discuss ways that they, they apply specifically to your life in a group that, that can hold you accountable and pray for you, right? We, we wanna see that happen Right? And ultimately, we believe that this is crucial to, to making changes in your habits as well as growing as a follower of Christ. And so today, we're going to have our small group connect. And it'll be up in the loft um, directly after the services. So if you're not in a small group, I would encourage everybody, go up to uh, the small group connect. You'll be able to meet the small group leaders. You'll be able to see where the different groups meet across the city. You can ask them specific questions about your group. Uh, so I would encourage you to go up there, check out the groups, find a group that you can connect with and find a group that you can really grow with together. And so that'll be right after the service. But before we do that, uh, we're gonna have a time of, of baptism. And, and, and baptism is, is really a significant step in saying that you have been saved, but also saying that you are joining with the body of Christ, right? That you have been saved into the church and you are, you are connecting to the relationships with the other brothers and sisters who have experienced salvation. So this morning, we are excited to, to celebrate two baptisms. We had two in the service right before this. And so, so we're gonna have that. We're gonna celebrate baptism. Uh, but before we do that, I'm going to pray and then we'll celebrate baptism together. Father, thank you. Thank you for your grace. Father, thank you for the fact that you have created us for relationships and thank you that you have, have given us your word in how we can develop those relationships. And Father, uh, we admit that we as a society, we, we struggle in this area. We, there's so many reasons that we choose individuality and, and our personal preferences uh, that keep us from developing these deep, meaningful relationships. And so Father, my prayer for my life and for our lives is that we would take whatever steps need to happen. Your word is so abundantly clear that you have called us to live in community. You've called us to experience these relationships, to challenge and encourage one another to grow. And so, Father, my prayer is that we would obey that command. We would do whatever it takes to make those happen. And so, Father, my prayer is there will be many people today that join small groups and that in the small groups that we have, Father, that you would continue to help people grow, that you would, you would use them and change habits and grow families and, and change lives, Father. And so that's our desire. Um, but Father, as we, as we think about changed lives, God, we, we come now just to the time of celebrating baptism. And Father, we're so thankful for the fact that, that you are a God who saves. You are a God who transforms. You are the God who changes. And Father, we're thankful this morning to be able to celebrate that in baptism, that, that there are these who have, who have died with you uh, in your death with Christ and been raised to new life of following you. And so Father, we celebrate that. God, we pray that, that everything we do this morning, uh, Father, would bring glory and honor to your name. It's in Christ's Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.